You're great, God. You're glorious. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for your love that never, ever fails. Amen. Is anyone glad that his love never fails? Is anyone glad that his love never, ever runs out? You know, people may get tired of us. You know, sometimes that happens. You know, people... There we go. All right, we're good now. You know, people may get tired of us. You know, we may get on people's nerves and all that stuff. But you know what? The one who we can't get on his nerves, you know, he's just, he doesn't get tired of us, you know, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm being confessional here, you know, we can confess, the Bible says it's good to confess to one another, right, I mean, you know, sometimes you just get tired of hearing the same old, same old, same old, right, from people, but our God doesn't get tired, he's like, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I know, you're going through it, whatever, and I love you, I love, my love never runs out, it is continual, always glory to God. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter, no matter what's going on in our hearts, his love never fails. Amen. Love that song. Glory to God. Give your God another hand of praise. He's worthy. Glory and honor. Praise the name of Jesus. If you would open your Bibles with me to the gospel of John chapter 6. Praise the Lord. And we can release our children to Kids Dome right now. The gospel of John chapter 6 as we're turning there. The Gospel of John chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 1, when you got to say so. And it says this, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled them 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the signs said, said that, Je that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Lord, thank you so much for your word. That is truth. Thank you so much for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you so much for your presence that is here in this place today. And Lord God, we just pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, God. We pray that you would 
Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in these next few moments together. I pray that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. And I pray, Lord God, that you be glorified in our lives, Lord God, not just as we hear your word, as we submit our hearts to your word, but as we live out your truths when we leave this place today, Lord God. Change us by the truths we'll hear. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand, please. Just lift your hand up really quickly so that way the ushers can get, a, get an outline to you. Keep those hands up. They'll get them to you here. I want to make sure that everybody has an outline. Um, I, was, I was sharing. Keep your hands up so that way the ushers see you. Very important to us that you have an outline. There's a couple of reasons. One of them um, is because while the preaching is going on, I think that it is a good habit that you take notes, right, that you write stuff down. That helps you to pay attention a little bit better, helps you to remember what was communicated. You can write those things down, write down questions, and there's some questions within the outline that you'll be able to answer. Um, the second reason why these outlines are important is because typically throughout the year, we meet in what are called our Connect Life Groups. And so, unfortunately, during the summertime, we do not have Connect Life Groups that meet consistently, okay? And we do that because people are on vacation. As you can see, there's a few extra seats here that are empty today, a few people on vacation and things like that. And so what we do is we respect those schedules, but what we still want you to do, and this is my challenge, and so pay attention to this. My challenge is when you get these outlines and you write down these notes, my encouragement is, is A, that you sit down with your family at some point in this week and that you have a conversation about the message that was preached and that you go ahead and you make your own little connect life group that's there. Amen? Have a conversation. But I'm going to challenge you on another level. Don't just have a conversation with your family. Have a conversation with someone else, right? Utilize this as an opportunity to talk to someone about the Word of God, whether it's somebody that is a believer, someone that goes faith dome or someone who is not a believer, someone who doesn't go to faith dome, um, but use this as an opportunity for you to have a conversation about the word of God and what we're talking about. Amen? All right, so let's continue on in our outline here. If we look at our outline, um, starting in the top there, as we continue in our study of the gospel of John, we see the revelation of Jesus who is, uh, uh, the revelation of who Jesus is continue to unfold and become clearer for those present and us who are privy to the scriptures. As we know, the whole purpose of the gospel of John is written so that we may believe and that by believing in the Son that we will have life, right? So that is the purpose of this book is so that way we can can have life, right? So that way we can believe what the truth of the Word of God is and what it communicates about Jesus. And so we see that the storyline continues on throughout the Gospel of John. God is revealing himself. Jesus is revealing himself and who he is. And so he's dealing with the people so that way their faith can grow. That's why John wrote this book. And so we are not there, but we are here and we're reading these scriptures. And the same thing that was happening at that moment because what's occurring at this moment is that those people that are there, their faith is being built in the Jesus that is revealing himself. Well, that same Jesus is here, and he's revealing himself unto us and building our faith so that way we stand firm upon the same faith that they have. The only difference is we don't have the tangible Jesus standing in front of us, but we have the record of what Jesus was doing inspired in the word of God. Amen? And so we can have faith that's built. And so the second thing here is that we ought to be the most grateful because God has sovereignly preserved his word and graciously revealed himself unto us, enabling our faith to grow and be solidified in the one true God and Savior the scriptures declare to us. And I was talking to someone and 
We're having a conversation about the Word of God, and I was sharing with them how God sovereignly throughout all of these years has been able to preserve His Word. This is a beautiful thing for us, because though people have tried to destroy it, those people have, though people have tried to discredit it, though people have tried to hinder the Word of God from going forward, look at how awesome God is. You know, thousands of years later, we are here with a book in our hands, amen? And we are here to be able to say that we have the living words of God that are speaking life life to us that are building our faith. And so we should be grateful because God is sovereign and he did that. But not just that, not only has he sovereignly preserved his word, but he has graciously revealed himself unto us. And he hasn't left us without the ability to understand his word because he's called us out of darkness and brought us into a relationship with him. And that's if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, there's no coincidence that you're sitting here this morning because if you're not a child of God, then God is calling you right now. There is a call that is going out for you to turn from your sin for you to put your faith in Jesus, for you to surrender your life to him. There's a call that's going out. And it's not just so that way we can have another check mark somewhere to say, hey, I did this, I said some kind of prayer, but it's so that way you can enter in to a relationship with God and God can begin speaking to you and revealing himself to you in and through his word and in a relationship. That's what he does. And so he does that for us, and so we should be grateful that he's done that to us. And the third thing here in your outline, here we will see Jesus' fourth and fifth miracle. For those of you that are not that, that, that are that are writing notes, important to write something down there. There are seven miracles that we see in the Gospel of John. And so seven miracles that you know walk all the way up into the upper room where Jesus is with his disciples there. And it's obviously excluding the resurrection, which is a miracle in and of itself. But what we have is he builds this whole storyline about around seven miracles. He doesn't have all of the miracles that Jesus did written down. He says that all the things that Jesus did, the all the books in the world, you know, couldn't contain everything that he did. But he writes down seven specific things that are going to give us revelation of who Jesus is, and it's enough, right? That you know that number seven is a number. It means completion. God, you know, built the earth in how many days? Well, six, and then he rested on the seventh, right? And so seven days complete, you know, it's like, so that seven is complete. That was a trick question. I know you were like, seven, seven. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. So it was seven, right? It's seven days. On the seventh day, he rested. He saw everything he did, he rested. But ultimately, we have the, the purpose of that is what? It's because, you know, there's, there's a symbolism there. And so John does that. He takes seven miracles. And so here we see the fourth and the fifth miracle, right, pointing to the deity of Jesus. The fourth miracle is the feeding of the multitudes. And the fifth miracle, we didn't read, but we'll read this in a moment, is him walking on water. And again, we will see Jesus using the miracle message approach to point them to the most important fact. Not the miracle, not the message, but the messenger. Get that. I said this when I, when I preached the last time and I talked about Jesus' miracle method. And what Jesus did is he would do something great and miraculous. And it wasn't just to do something great and miraculous. It was so that way he could preach a message after that that would point them to what? Who he was. Point them to the messenger. And so what we have here is he continues in suit. He continues in line with what he does. He does something great. That's the reason why I always say, Whenever we do something for someone, whenever we do something, and, 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 you know, I'm not talking about, you know, something miraculous in that sense. I'm talking about when we do something good for someone, it should always be a service that leads to a message. It shouldn't just be that, hey, you know, have a great day, or, you know, I just wanted to do this. But there should be an opportunity for you to share the reason why you are doing what you're doing. Amen? 
There should be a reason for that. You know, it's, it's an opportunity. As Pastor Chad was praying this morning during our, our leader's prayer time, you know, he began weeping as he was recognizing, you know, God sovereignly brings people into our lives. God sovereignly allows things to happen, you know, causes things to happen so that way we can be what? So that way we can ultimately share this amazing message of the gospel that we have. And many times he gives us opportunities to serve someone and that way they can do what? So that way they can hear this message from someone who has credibility because what? Because I'm not just preaching a message to you, but I'm demonstrating the love of God through my actions toward you. It's important for us that we don't miss the opportunities for us to share the truth of the gospel when God gives us those opportunities. And so here is what Jesus does. And so I say this, and you can write this down. This is the big idea that I would say for this whole message, and we're talking about the works of God is the title of the message, but it's this. We must ensure that we are not just seeking Jesus, but that we are seeking him for the right reasons. Let me say that again. We must ensure that we are not just seeking Jesus, but that we are seeking him for the right reasons. I know I talk fast. I'm going to pause. I'm going to let you write, glory to God. My connect group connect corrected me, and they were like, Bishop, I'm trying to write fast, but it's, even when I pause, and it's just difficult. So I say it one more time, one more again. Here we go. We must ensure that we are not just seeking Jesus, but that we are seeking him for the right reasons reasons. That's the big idea. Y'all got that? Y'all wrote it down? Everybody, everybody's good? We can move on. Amen. Praise the Lord. See, see, the thing is, what we're going to find here in this text is that we, we see that these people are seeking Jesus, but are they seeking him for the right reasons? Are they seeking him with the right intentions? And we're going to dig into that a little bit. So the first thing that I would say is this, repeat this after me, say the works of God must always point to the glory of Jesus. The works of God must always point to the glory of Jesus. Right, we read here, and I'm gonna go ahead and read this um, in verse, verse 15, let's look at verse 15 together. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Now notice that, Jesus perceived something, and he's like, okay, these people, I wanna talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but he perceived this, he did this miracle, right? This fourth miracle of feeding the 5,000, he feeds them miraculously, and these people are like, all right, that's it, this is the prophet that was to come, we know this is the guy, <clears throat> and so, they're getting ready to take him and make him king. And what Jesus does, so I, I think this is awesome. What Jesus does is he literally, and, and we'll, let, let's read this together and I'll make this point now. He says, therefore, when they were about to do this, he said he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So the first thing he does is when they're getting ready to make him king, he's like, man, I, I'm not worried about being king. I need to be alone with my father. Are you hearing me? He separates himself. He wasn't like us. Like if someone's going to make me king, I might not be like, can I go pray? I'm just like, can you do it? Amen. Right? <laughs> Like, sit me on a throne, hook a brother up. I'm just saying, right? Like, you know, I might, you know, I might get off spiritually and be like, man, I've been paying a price for this, glory to God. It's about time for the, you know, elevation. You know how that is, right? About time for the promotion, glory to God. You know, you know how that is. Like, we get real spiritual. I've been sowing toward that, glory to his name. It's time to reap, you know? Anyway, Jesus doesn't say that, right? What, what Jesus does is he goes and he pulls himself away. He gets with the Father. Verse 16 says, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, God into the, got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, arose because a great wind was blowing. So 
When they, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and, when, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So the first thing Jesus does is he pulls away with the Father. But I love this because the second thing that he does, he does this miracle. He does it only in the presence of his disciples. And you know what he said? I don't need people to make me king. I am king. Are you hearing me? Well, what he did was, he's like, I don't need anyone to make me king. Let me show you, I'm king over, over, over everything. As a matter of fact, when the storm is coming, I'm going to walk on the water through the storm. And you see the, the I, mean, I mean, glory to God. Even Peter got to walk on the water. He benefited from Jesus being the king, right? Because we see this in, the, in, in some of the other gospels there. But here is what happens. Jesus is here, and he does this, these miracles. And all of these miracles are for one thing, and it is to point to the glory of who he is. It's not to do anything else. It's not to tantalize people. It is simply to point them to what they need. That's what it's all about. That's why I say whenever we do something good for someone, we shouldn't just leave it at doing the good work. We should do good works, but we should have a greater motive, and that is to point them to who they really need. See, in the first miracle, and, and, and I'm sure that you, for most of you that have been, church, been in church for a while, you've heard this, this scripture preached about the feeding of the, of the 5,000, and, and what we find here is, first of all, we find a few issues. The first issue that is pretty evident is that there's not nearly enough natural provision for the physical needs of the people. So there's a first problem that we have. The second problem is that, as well, there's not enough faith in the disciples to warrant a miracle. Are you here? So the first problem that we have is we have a whole bunch of people and not enough food, right? We have a whole bunch of people and not enough money. And, and Philip is over here. He's like, yo, I calculated this. If we went and, you know, went in there with all kind of money, you know, we still wouldn't have enough for these people to eat. And so we see that they didn't have, it wasn't like they came and they had this great faith, right? That wasn't what was occurring. There wasn't this great faith that was going on inside of them like, yes, these were men of faith. No, they were like, man, Jesus, I don't know how you're going to do this. Jesus was testing them, the scripture says, because Jesus already had the solution. And so my point is that they had a problem on top of another problem. And sometimes we think that we need to have this great faith in order to see some kind of miracle. Are you hearing me? They didn't have the faith that warranted a miracle. They, they didn't know. They, they were clueless as to how this was going to happen. But isn't it awesome to know that we don't have to have all the answers Jesus does? It is awesome to know that I don't have to have all of the answers. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to understand everything in order for me to see God move in my life. All I got to do is be connected to him. Are you here? Because there comes a point where in all of our lives where we should get to the place where we don't have all. See, because if you have all the answers and you have all the provision, where is there room for God in your life? Where is it that you're really going to say, if it was not for God, because really, well, hey, man, I earned it. I got the paycheck. I have the ability. But where is the glory that belongs? See, some of us, we're okay, right? Like, like some of us, you know, we're in a good place in our life, and we just know, hey, man, I give all glory to God. But can I tell you something? For some people, comfort is the worst place for them. For some people, being comfortable is the worst place because, number one, they'll never seek God. Number two, and even more importantly, they'll never give real glory to God. Because I've never had a situation. I've never had a difficulty. You look at persecution in the church, like we see about people who are being killed for the glory of God. They're being killed for the gospel's sake in other places, right? And so for us, I'm going to tell you right now, in America, in America, it is the worst. This is the worst atmosphere for you to be a Christian. It costs you nothing. Listen, you don't, you don't got to walk to church most of the time. Hello, somebody, right? Maybe you got to walk once in a while. 
But usually there's a church on every corner, so you ain't got to walk too far. If you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, right? Glory to God. You don't have to. You're not going to lose your life for Jesus. You know, you know what it costs you? You got to get up early enough to get to church on time sometimes. Hello. Right? You, that, those are the things that, that need to, like, I mean, think about the price that we, I mean, what is the price? I want you to think about this for a moment, and I don't mean to put anyone down, but what price are you paying for being a Christian? What price are you paying? What have you lost because you're a Christian other than sleep? Hello. Because, you, you know, you could have been sleeping right now, right? It's like, you know, well, I don't know if you're still sleeping. But anyway, it's kind of tough to sleep this late. You know, it just depends. But, but what have you lost? What does your Christianity cost you? Right? Like, what, is it, what does it cost to be a Christian? You see, in this situation here, what we find is that they were in a crisis situation. They were in a situation where they didn't have the answers. They didn't have the faith. They didn't, have, they didn't know how. But you know what God was saying? I'm right there with you. I have the answer. And so what we find here is that God does something, and Jesus shows us that in his hands, hear me when I say this, Jesus shows us that in his hands, even what is seemingly insignificant can be and usually is his solution. He shows us, little fish, little bread, that's my solution. Are you serious? Yes. What are those among so many? And so what we have here is Jesus shows us his power, right? So in this miracle, the fourth sign, he shows himself as the sovereign source of provision. Is anyone glad about that? That we know that God is a provider. We have in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, right? Yesterday being here in the gospel, today when it was written, forevermore. That, that comes on and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So what that means to me is that the same Jesus that took a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed 5,000, he can do the same in our lives. He is able to do that. But here's the thing. The works of God must always point to the glory of God. Now, look, when he walked on the water, I already said this. He shows himself as sovereign over his creation. He shows that storms don't stop me. Water doesn't stop me. I am sovereign over my creation. And here's what's up. is that in a day in which there are many seeking signs and wonders, and let me say this as a, as a parenthesis here, there is no biblical mandate to seek signs and wonders. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? There's no, there, there's no, like, go seek. As a matter of fact, there are warnings against seeking signs and wonders. Why? Because many will be deceived by false signs, by false wonders, by false miracles, by emotional experiences, by things like that. And here's, here's what we need to make sure. We need to make sure that we, as children of God, are not deceived by those things and, 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 and know this, any real miracle that really pertains to the glory and honor of God is going to emphatically, unequivocally, Point us to who? Jesus. Amen. It's not about a ministry. It's not about a person. It's not, it's, it's, it is about God and God alone. That's who gets the glory when these miracles are really occurring, when these things are really happening in our days. And so it's important for us to make sure that we're doing what? That we are pursuing, that we're seeking Jesus for the right reasons. Amen? The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our labor, our labor. must always be with an eternal focus. Our labor must always be with an eternal focus. And so let's look at verse 22 to verse 27. Verse 22 here, <clears throat> it says, On the following day, 
when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, that there was, they, they saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came to Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into the boats, into boats, and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, in other words, there is no doubt about this. I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Now, what we have here, as I said, our labor must always be with an eternal focus. After these signs, the people seek Jesus, right? And so what happens is he rebukes them saying their motives for seeking him were incorrect. They sought him for food. They allowed their natural hunger to supersede their spiritual need. You see, Jesus wasn't excited. See, when, when, you, when, when I'm reading the text, when I, when I was reading this as I was studying through the scriptures, I looked at this. Look at verse 26, and, and just, just go with me for a moment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a period somewhere so you can see how this changes. A period and a comma changes everything in this sentence. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, period. See, for most of us, that's what we get excited about because Jesus is saying, hey, that Jesus was not saying you weren't seeking me. That isn't what he said, right? He said, you seek me. In other words, he's telling him, yep, you're seeking me. In other words, it's like saying, yep, you're praying to me. Yes, you're worshiping me. Yes, you're giving for, you know, to me. You know, you're doing all of these things for It wasn't like he was denying the fact that they were seeking him. The problem comes in is that there's not a period there, hello, there's a comma saying that's not the end of the story. That's not where it finishes. He says to them, he goes on and says, you, he, he, t he tells them, you are seeking me or you seek me not because you saw the signs. In other words, you're not seeking me because you really believe that I'm the prophet in the sense that I should be recognized here. That's not why you're seeking me. You're seeking me because your bellies were full. You're seeking me because you were following me, and all of a sudden, you know what? That natural need that you had, that, and there's nothing wrong with being hungry. Hello, I know some of y'all are hungry right now. Glory to God, right? Just get your mind off that for a moment, right? I'm not going to turn some fish into, you know, I'm not going to do it here. It's not going to happen. I'm just, you know, anyway. <laughs> Somebody got a Lunchable, we'll go ahead and get I'm just joking. <laughs> we'll give thanks for that, and we'll see if we can all eat here on, on the Lunchable. Um, but nonetheless, Jesus is like, look. You are coming after me because of what? Because your bellies were full. Because you were hungry. But you know what? They were ignoring their spiritual need. They were ignoring what was really going on. I just said it a few moments ago. The Jewish people were ready. We saw that in verse 15, right? That they were ready to make Jesus their king, right? They were going to take him by force, and they were going to make him their king. Why? Because now they've seen four miracles. They're like, yo, we're, we're convinced, right? And I say four miracles in John, but there's plenty of other miracles that were occurring. They saw people being delivered from demons and diseases. I mean, they were like, yo, this is the guy. This guy delivered 
us from demons. This guy can feed us. You know what? He's got everything on lock. We're going to make that guy our king because you know what? He's going to do everything. But you know what? Up until this point, Jesus hadn't really been preaching to them, telling them, yeah, you need to take your cross and follow me. He hadn't done all that yet. All of this hadn't occurred. And so they were just like, yeah, this is cool. You know what? He's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, the Christianity for many today. I want a Jesus that can meet every one of my needs but puts no demands on me. I want a Jesus that's going to meet, he is going to meet and exceed every one of my expectations because, you know, we believe, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I believe, you know, when the Bible talks in the book of Ephesians that our God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, right, to the glory of God. I believe that, right? I really believe that God can do exceedingly, I believe that. There is no doubt in my mind. But what I do also know is that God doesn't always do what I want God to do. Hello? What, what, what I realize is that God doesn't always do. He doesn't always do. Listen, I've been, I've been a Christian. I was talking with Raul. You know, I've been a Christian for like almost 21 years now. And, you know, in my 21 years of life, I remember when I first became a Christian, right? One day, I'll never forget this. I was probably, I'll give you two testimonies, quick ones. I remember one day I was walking, right? I had been a Christian for a little bit over a month or something like that. And I wasn't really into basketball, but, you know, I decided this day I wanted to go play basketball. So I'm by myself. I wasn't with anybody. I'm, I've told you all this story before, maybe. But I'm walking down the road, and I, and I, and I look up at the sky. You know, we're in Florida, you know, in summertime, it rains, right, every day, glory to God, right? Like in the afternoon when you're getting ready to do something, I don't know about me, I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, it was disappointing, right, because I was like excited and I couldn't get anywhere before the rain started. So, you know, I'm, I'm walking out of my house as, you know, what I don't remember what time of day it was, but it was around the rain time. I'm just going to call it, we'll call it rain time. It was about rain time. And I looked up at the sky, a drop of water hit me, and I'll never forget, I was like, Lord, just hold the rain back until a certain time. I don't remember the time right now, but I said, just hold the rain back until a certain time so I can play for like 30 minutes. And I promise you, I went to the basketball court. I played for 30 minutes exactly, and the rain came down. I was like, glory to God, he heard me. I got another more spiritual testimony. You're like, God is hearing you about basketball. It wasn't, it wasn't about basketball. It's about relationship, man. Are you hearing me? Another day, there was this. Now, let's get spiritual, right? So another day, there was a service, right? You know, a service, like holiness, holiness right? There was a service that was going on somewhere else, and I didn't have a ride there. And I was like, man, I said, you know, I told one of my friends, I was like, hey, man, I said, let's, um, you know, I'm, let's just pray, man. Let's just ask God to provide a ride for us to get there. And so we prayed, and I promise you, like two minutes later, this dude pulled up in a van. I didn't even know this guy. I, I'm straight up. I didn't know him. The guy that I was with knew him. And he was like, hey, man, there's a service going on on the other side of town. You think you could take us? He's like, well, yeah, if you don't have a problem sitting in the back with my dog. And so he had this big old Rottweiler in the back, and I was like, great, you know. So anyway, get in the car. Glory to God. God's bringing me to church. Amen. That was spiritual, right? Like, okay, Bishop, I can get with the spiritual one. I don't know about the basketball. Whatever. Anyway, here's, here's, here, here's what I'm saying. That was when I was a young Christian, right? Now, fast forward. There have been plenty of prayers I've been praying, and I know I'm not praying outside of God's will. What I mean by that is I'm not praying for something that is contrary to God's word. Are you hearing me? You want to know God's will for your life? You need to know what God's word says. And so God makes clear what he's willing to do and what he is unwilling to do. He makes clear what I should ask for and what I shouldn't ask for. Are you here? Right? And so there have been plenty of times that I'm praying for something. I'm like, God, I know this is not opposed to what your written word says to me. And he's like, no. Or wait. I don't even know what he's saying. I've just stopped asking. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Let's just move on to the next topic. Glory to God. My point is, God doesn't always do every single thing the way that we want it done. And what are we called to do? We are called to trust him. 
We are called to glorify. We are called to honor him. We're called to do what? We're called to pursue him with what? Eternal focus. Jesus says, don't labor for those things that do what? For the things that perish. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but do what? We are supposed to be laboring for that which leads to eternal life. And so the Jewish people, they were ready to make Jesus king. They were ready to put him on the throne because they're like, yo, we're going to get everything that we want. And here's the, here's the deal. We must ensure that in all that we do, that we are pursuing the glory of God. We must seek God for who he is, not solely for what he can do for us. We must learn to seek God for who, listen, I want you to think about that for a moment. We must seek Jesus with eternity in mind. Are you seek? think about your prayers. I want you to think about your prayers. How many of your prayers have been, I'll never forget years ago, I don't remember, it was in some kind of worship conference or something like that, and I remember as the pastor was speaking on worship, he's like, we need to come to a place that we stop asking God for stuff in songs and we just give God our worship. That we are just laying our worship at his feet. Listen, I believe in being fervent, amen? I believe in knocking. I believe in seeking. I believe in asking, right? I believe, that I believe all of that. I believe we need to be persistent like that widow, right, that she needed help and, you know, she went to, uh, we need to be persistent, right? We need, I believe in that. But let me ask you a question. When you think about your prayers to God, when, I'm not talking about your prayer list because that prayer list should have a lot of petitions on it. But when you think about your prayers to God, are you seeking him for who he is or are you seeking him because you know he's going to give you stuff? And I'm not talking about like because he's going to give you, I'm not talking about because he's going to give you a house or he's going to give you a car. I'm Because most of y'all, you know, I, I know most of you, not all of you, but I know most of you are not over here asking God for a mansion. I'm just saying, I know most of you are not doing that. I know most of you are not asking God, you know, for, you know, a Bentley or nothing like that. I know none of y'all asking God for a private jet. I'm just saying, right? I'm not, I know, I had to throw it in there. Um, you know, I know, I, I'm just saying, right? I, I, I know you guys are not doing that. Get that out of my system, glory to God, right? Like, glory to his name. Can you hook a brother up? No, I'm just I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I know you're not seeking him for that stuff, right? But, 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 but in, your, in, your, in your personal life, like, does your relationship with God consist of you just asking him for stuff? Like, to bless this, to be with this, to do this, or are you just finding yourself before your God just loving him? As we were in prayer this morning, I was repenting before God. I was like, God, forgive me for not being more like Mary, who just found, look, the house was a mess, and she was where? At the master's feet. There was, there was chores to do. There was a list of things that had to get done, and yet she found herself at the place that mattered the most, at the feet of Jesus. You know why? Because all of those things, listen, and I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, right? I, I, I was praying this morning again, and I was like, God, you tell us in your word not to set our mind on the things of this earth, but to set our mind on things in heaven. And it's not to say that we ignore the things of this earth, but where do we set our mind is the question. You see, what are we doing? And, and when we're talking about pursuing Jesus, are we just seeking him because of what he can give us? Like, I've told people many a time, man, you shouldn't give to God because you're afraid of a curse. Hello, somebody. 
You shouldn't just give to God because you're worried that you're not going to be blessed, man. You should give to God because you are blessed. Hello. You should give to God because the gospel has changed your life. You should give to God because he's given you strength to get up. You should give to God because he has done so much for you. And He is the motivation for giving is not the fear of what I'm not going to get or even the thing I'm going to get. It's because of who he is and what he has already done for me. Like, that is the motivation, right? And, and let's not forget, you know, we're supposed to, you know, sow into the kingdom, right? Because up there, there's no moth, there's no rust, there's no thieves, right? So, so obviously, God wants to reward us. He has no problem with that. The problem is when we only seek Jesus for what we can get from him. And his own words condemned them because he was like, man, you're seeking me for the wrong stuff. Instead of seeking me with eternal purpose. The third thing, I'll ask you to repeat after me this. Say, the work of God is manifested... And our belief in his son. The work of God is manifested in our belief in his son. Look at verse 28 and 29 with me. He says this. It says, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And so here's a positive thing. I, I want to give you something positive here because I don't want to just be negative you know, on, on these people. They, at, at minimum, they recognized there was something wrong, right? They, they recognized something had to be done. They recognized something had to change. They, did, they didn't know what it was. They at least recognized that because they didn't just come to them and say, no, nah, man, we're seeking you with the right heart or we're seeking you with the right. That wasn't what they said. They recognized that there was an issue. They, they responded to Jesus' rebuke. They just responded incorrectly. Verse 29 says this, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You see, here the Jewish people miss the word give. See, go back up to, to, to verse 27. He says, do not labor, right, because they were laboring, they were working, right? Ergon is the word there. They were laboring, right? They were pursuing for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son will give you. Say, give you. You see, he didn't say that you would earn. He said that the Son would give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. He didn't say the son was going to give you this because you were perfect in your pursuits, because you were, you know, perfect in everything you were doing. He said that he was going to give you because of his seal that was set upon his son. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're laboring for the wrong thing, so what, how do we work the works of God? We want to do these great works. And, you know, they were thinking that in some way, shape, or form, that the eternal life that, that was promised to them, that was going to be given to them, that was to be pursued, because we're supposed to pursue that, was somehow able to be earned. You see, their thought was that some way, shape, or form, we can earn this. And you have to remember now, let, let, let's, think, let's think in the context of the people that are here. These are people that have been inundated. They've been trained up from the time of their childhood about a sacrificial system, about righteousness and, and being right, and that's how you earn God's favor. And this is how you get things from God. That's what they were taught. They were taught that. And see, here's the thing. There is nothing wrong with walking in holiness. Here is the problem. The problem is when you think your holiness somehow makes you right with God. Are you here? When you think that your right behavior somehow earns you something. Hello? 
The Bible teaches me, and see, we'll get into this in a moment, but the Bible teaches me someone else earned everything that I'm ever going to get. And so what happens is they have this wrong mindset. See, our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, notice it is that we believe in him, right, and, and the one that he has sent, and it's because of the seal of approval that is upon him. And so our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ must constantly be growing because what? Because this is the work of God that you believe. Say that you believe. You see, this is the work of God that you believe. This is the work of God that you believe. Understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, this is God's work. This is what God is doing. This is his work. These are the works. You want to know what we're responsible for, church? We are responsible. I love what Tilly and Chavision would say in a scenario like this. He would say that we don't need to do better. We need to believe better. Are you hearing me? We don't need to do better. We need to believe better. Why does he say that? Because of this. Because biblical belief will always produce biblical obedience. Are you here? You see, you can try to train yourself to do a bunch of stuff and to do things all the right way. But you know what can inevitably happen and what typically does? When you have the wrong motivation, you lose motivation. When you're wrongly motivated, like when you're motivated by fear to do something, you know what ends up happening? That fear eventually runs out. You see, when you're motivated by something other than the love of God, because of what God, when you're motivated by the wrong thing, then it ends up being something that's not going to last forever. But when you are motivated by something that never changes, when you're motivated by something that continues to build in us, then you know what happens? What happens is we will continue to walk in obedience. It's believing the truth of the scripture. And so here's what I say is this. You guys know I preach the gospel every week, but I want you to hear this and, and, and think about this for a moment. Our greatest concern must be that we are growing in our faith in what the gospel means to us. You see, Jesus said this. He said the work of God is what? Is that you believe in him who was sent. That's the work of God, is that we're believing in who Jesus is, the one whom God has put a seal of approval on. That's what that means there. He's approved him. He is the one that we are supposed to be putting our trust in. He is the one that we are supposed to have our faith in, that our belief is supposed to be growing in. But, he, but, but when we look at the gospel, how does the gospel, I had someone ask me this question, and I think it's a good question, how does the gospel pertain to Christians? Because a lot of people think that the gospel is like the doorway into Christianity and then somehow you grow beyond the gospel. That's not truth, y'all. Hello? It's a continual growing in the gospel. You read throughout, you know, the epistles, and there's some obvious practical applications of the word of God. There are those, in, um, the, the, those indicatives of the gospel, right, that are there that indicate to us, you know, that show us what we're supposed to do. But there's also the imperatives. The problem with us is that we get so caught up in the imperatives of what I have to do that we miss the motivation that makes me want to do. Are you here? We miss the motive. What is it that motivates me? Well, what is the God? We, we've talked about this. The gospel starts with God, God being good. Here's what's important, and understand this. We need to have a faith. We need to have a biblical definition of God's character so that our trust is in him. So when we think about the gospel for a Christian, as a Christian, what, what is it that Satan, let's go back to the garden, right, for a moment. What is it that Satan questioned in the beginning and when, when, when the first question that came up in the garden was asked by the devil, was it not? I was the first person to have a question, right? The first one that asked the question there was Satan. And what was his question about? His question was questioning the word of God. Why? Because when you question the word of God, you automatically bring into question the character of God. 
You see, and if I don't have a biblical definition of who God is that is continuously being rehearsed. See, one of the things that I love, i never forget this preaching. I heard it a long time ago, and it was somebody who was breaking down the, the, um, the prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gives. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And i never forget this one part in the sermon. And he said, you know, when I get down to my prayer time, he's like, and I come to that point, our Father, you know, talking about the Father who art in heaven, talking about where he is seated, you know, hallowed be thy name. He said, hallowed be thy name is talking about hallowing or making holy the name of God. And he said, you know what I do in prayer? He said, I get into that time of that moment of the prayer. He said, I pray through this model all the time. And he said, and as I'm getting, when I get to that point, he says, I begin to, re I begin to rehearse the names of God. And he's like, so I sit down there in my prayer time and I'm like, father, I just thank you because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, my provider. I thank you because you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord, my healer. I thank you because you are Jehovah Nisi. You are the Lord, my banner. I thank you because you are Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, my righteousness. I thank you because you are Jehovah Mekadeshim, the Lord who sanctifies me. I thank you because you are Jehovah Roi, the Lord, my shepherd. I thank you because you are Elohim, the existing one. I thank you because you are El Shaddai, the many-breasted one. You are God Almighty. I thank you because you are Jehovah. You are the eternal God. I thank you because you are Elohim, everlasting Father. See, I begin to hollow the name of God. And see, I'm just going through the names of God. And my personal prayer time, what I do is I add stuff. So like when I say, you know, I thank you because you are Jehovah Sidkenu, I say, Lord, I thank you because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him who died for us. And so I begin to say, God, thank you because you sent your son to the cross. And no longer do I stand in my own righteousness, but I stand in a righteousness that is outside of myself. I thank you because I realized that when this guy named Abraham was up in a thicket with his son, you, Jehovah Jireh, provided for him. And if you did it for him, you can do it for me. See, that's what happens when I begin to hollow the name of God. I begin rehearsing who God is. Suddenly my faith is built up. And when I get to the point of, Lord, provide for me, I already know, man, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. I don't need to ask. He already did it. He is the Lord, my healer. I don't need to ask. He already did it. See, when I begin to put things in perspective, church, what happens to me, my faith begins to be built, and that is what the gospel of John is about. It is about a faith and a God who is faithful. You see, but if I have a wrong perception of God, then guess what? I stop trusting him. And can I tell you something? The first thing the enemy wants to do whenever we go through something hard in our life is begin to question the character of God. So you know what you need? You don't just need a biblical definition once in your life. You need a biblical definition every day being rehearsed and being renewed in your life so you never waver on who God is. Are you hearing me? See, this is the reason why prayer becomes so important for us. Because when I'm in prayer, I become solidified. This is why being in the Word of God is so important because in the Word of God, I become solidified in who my God is. The second thing I need a clear definition of is I need a clear biblical definition of man's sinfulness. So that way my trust is in God alone and not in myself. You see, if I have a wrong definition of who I am, guess what I start doing? I don't need you to provide because I can provide for myself. I don't need you to be righteous because I can be righteous all on my own. 
See, when I have a wrong definition of who I am as a man, see, when I realize that God is good, he is faithfully is just. When I realize those things about him, I need to have a right definition of who I am because then I need to see, man, hold on a second, I'm fallen by nature. Hello. I am I am sinful by nature. See, once I come to Jesus, I'm no longer seen as a sinner separated from God. I'm still sinful though. Hello. I still have a fallen nature that I'm battling with, that I'm fighting against. I still have to deal with that. But God doesn't see me as his enemy anymore. Glory to God for that. Amen? But here's the truth. The truth is that I am separated from God because of my sin. And you know what? If you're not a believer in this place, here's a, here is a, a, a sad and, and scary reality. If you are not a believer in this place because you are a sinner by nature, you are separated from God. And separation from God doesn't mean like you and God are just not cool. It means that if you died right now, you would spend the rest of eternity where? In a place called hell, separated from him, suffering the torments that he did not create you for. Are you here? Jesus died in order to do what? See, so my first thing, I need a right definition of God. The second thing, I need a right definition of man. The third thing I need is I need a right definition or a biblical definition of Jesus' finished work so that our trust will firmly be in Jesus, not in ourselves. You see, what I realize is that I'm hopeless apart from Jesus because of my nature, because of my decisions, because of my desires. But the beauty of this is that there is one who walked this earth, lived a perfect life. Understand this. When we talk about Jesus living a perfect life, it wasn't just that he didn't do stuff. It's what he also did. He did everything that was so he fulfilled the law 100%. And so you know what that means? He was perfect in my place. And so my trust and my hope is in him and his finished work. My trust and my hope is in the fact that he lived this perfect life, and then the Bible says he died to suffer in my place. He received what I should have received on that cross. But you know what I love is that the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't finish with him dying on a cross and being put in a grave. The story ends with him rising up, and it's still not over. The story's still being written. Hello, somebody. The story is still being completed. Should I say that? Not being written. I don't want nobody to get crazy like, I'm going to go write some more of the Bible. No. Okay. The story is still being completed because it's been written out in the scripture what's going to happen. So it is being fulfilled, right? It is being fulfilled. Jesus rises from the dead, conquering the grave, conquering death, conquering sin. He showed us that he has the victory. And so you know what I do? I get to benefit from his victory. I am victorious because he is victorious. And so my trust, again, is in him. And the last thing is, you need to have a clear understanding of your new identity. Listen, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. Hello. Yesterday doesn't matter. Today matters. And he's made provision for the sin you're going to commit today and the sin you'll commit tomorrow and every other sin you're going to commit. He made provision so that way you can do what? When you sin, you can come to him and know that he offers you forgiveness. Not because you're so great, but because he is so great. We have a future, church. We have life eternal that we experience now. And so here's my closing questions for you. The question is, what are you working for? What are you working for? Talked about the works of God. What are you working for? Are you working for those things here and now? Are you working for those things in this day, in this hour, the things that you need today? Or are you working for the glory and honor of God? And the second part of the question is, is the work of God evident in your life? And what I mean by that is, is your faith growing? Is your faith growing? 
or are you stuck somewhere? The beauty of it is that no matter where we're stuck, just like Peter, we look at the story of Jesus walking on the water. And one of the other gospels, it shows us that Jesus walked on that water and Peter said, if it's you, Lord, call me. And Peter stepped out of that boat. Crazy. He was crazy. You know, sometimes you ask for stuff and you don't even realize what you asked for. Peter was like, call me. He's like, wait, why did I say that? Like, hold on, can we call him? Like, call John or something like that, right? Like, did he call me? And Jesus just says one or he says, come. The scripture doesn't tell us how long Peter walked. It just says that he walked on that water. And then it says he got his eyes off of Jesus, right? For a moment, he started to notice, hold on a second. He's like, I'm walking on this water and this storm is coming at me. And Peter's eyes turned from Jesus. You know, the scripture says he started to sink, right? He was stuck. Hello, somebody. He started to sink because he focused on the storm instead of the Savior who was sovereign over the storm. He began to, and, and listen, it happens to all of us. Listen, it happens to all of us. And I say all of us, I mean me, just like you. There's plenty of storms. My wife and I were in the office this morning, and she was like, you know, you think your job is supposed to be easy? Hello, you got so many perks. You know, like you're with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all day long. <laughs> She's like, I'm having crazy meetings with crazy people, glory to his name. And you get to be up here. Like my wife will call me and she'll the worst in the background. She's like, what an amazing job. I'm like, yes, I know. It's awesome. But my point is that even with all that, there's still storms. There's still things that overwhelm my heart. There's still things that over, and, and, and I lose focus. And you know what the beauty of it is? Is that when Peter started sinking, Jesus didn't even let this guy, he's just like grabbed him by his arm, picked him up, and said, why, why'd, you, why'd you start looking at other stuff? We could have walked to the shore together. It's all right, I'll get in the boat with you and we'll get to the shore together. That's the beauty of our Savior. Is that he's like, I'll get in a boat with you. you. You can't handle walking on the water. It's all right. I'm the water walker. We'll just go ahead and do it like this. We'll get into this boat together. The beauty of it is that Jesus is there to pick us up if we're stuck. If your faith is not growing, he's there to pick you up. He wants to pick you up today. And if you don't know him, he wants you to know him today. You know him today by putting your faith in him, by recognizing you are a sinner separated from him, and you need him. And he is here today to give you new life. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's bow our heads together. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and let's pray together. I want, you to, I want you to be that point of contact. I want you to be that person. And if you're in this place and you say that you need prayer, say, maybe I'm stuck. Maybe I'm stuck in my faith right now. Maybe I'm struggling in an area of my life. You know, that if that's you in this place and you need someone to pray for you, I'll just squeeze that hand next to you. So that way that person can pray with you, pray for you. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, I, I want to I surrender my life to him today. I'm going to encourage you, squeeze a hand next to you so that way that person can pray for you. And you can put your faith in him today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, God. Father, I thank you so much for every hand that was squeezed in this place. I thank you for the person who squeezed that hand. I pray for the ones that are struggling in their faith today. I pray for the ones that are battling, Lord God, this, this, that they're, they're fighting this fight, and maybe they feel like they're losing this fight, my God. Heavenly Father, I come before you on behalf of them, my God, and I just lift them before you. You are a sovereign, gracious, loving God who in the palm of your hands you hold us, God. You keep us, my God. We don't keep ourselves, Lord. And so my prayer is for them, God, that their faith would be strengthened today, that their strength, that their faith would be filled today, God, that they would 
would experience the grace of your glory and your power in their lives, my God, that they would know your fullness, Lord God, even in this time where they're struggling or they're stuck, my God, that they may feel like they're sinking and are overwhelmed, Lord, that they would come to know the power of your grace as never before, that they would come to know the magnitude of who you are, God. Fill them right now with your power, God. Deliver them from condemnation. Deliver them from fear. Deliver them from doubt. Fill them with faith, God. I pray for those that squeeze their hand today, Lord God, that do not know you and that want to know you, God. I pray that they would trust you with their lives today. I pray that they would recognize that you are the Son of God, that you are God the Son who walked this earth, who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death, who rose a victorious God, and Lord is seated on a throne and that you invite them into a relationship if they will just recognize their sin and that you are the only solution, God. Father, I pray that they trust you today. I pray that you fill them with your grace and your Holy Spirit now. And Father, we thank you today for your goodness, for your grace, and for your kindness, Lord God. Help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We give you all praise and thanks. In Jesus' good name, someone said. Come on, give God a hand of praise.